I just think it's so great that it's like a woman owned company and it's a, it's a place that's designed with like all the shit that women have to go through on other dating apps. It's like, no, we're going to get rid of those. It's true. And like, I mean, I've been off and on Bumble for a while, but I don't know. You still do get some of the same shit. Yeah. Like, yes, the woman has to respond first, which I, how does that work for you? So for me, because I'm also on Bumble, y'all, um, it like whoever gets the match has to speak first oh so if you swipe and they'd already swiped you then 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 i have have to Ah. if i've already swiped on them and when they swipe they get like the oh they like you too they'll have to respond yeah well it's just very interesting now that dating apps and online dating is like that's how you meet people nowadays oh yeah well i think it's so interesting in like gay culture specifically the dating apps are not the same like we have Grinder, which is basically just for hookups. Right. But then Tinder, which for straight people is hookups. Tinder yeah. for us is like half and half. Like yeah. half the people on it are for hookups. The other half are for actual relationships. And then like OK I've had friends who've met like significant others and later got married on they met on Tinder. Which I think is so cool. OK Cupid though is like the most in depth and it's like 75 percent dating 25 percent just hookups bumble yeah. i think is dating only that's awesome it's from what i found but and it's here in austin um, yes it is here in austin i believe their office is downtown no it's in oh. uh like the triangle region i oh, drove past it with a friend okay um, i didn't know it was up once. there north mm-hmm. it's like it's this small building it's really cute it's like bright yellow um, the CEO's desk, you can like see her office through the windows. It's cute. And it's like decorated, like very Tiffany esque. It's hmm. really nice. I like it. Well, hello everyone. This yes, is hello. Blood and Wine. And I'm Brittany. I'm Tyler. And you may notice that we sound a little bit different this time. Just a bit. We are using our brand new microphones. Yes. Thank you Thank to. You. Thank you, Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> Thank y'all so much. This is because of all of y'all's love and support. Mm-hmm. You know, we're able to improve. And fun fact, um, some of y'all might know this. I think we've mentioned it before. but I think a couple times. We used to do all of our recording on an iPad Pro. And yeah. Just using the internal iPad mic. Yep. Which, you know, if you're wanting to start a podcast or something... It's great. It's a very sufficient way to start. Um, Because we could do, um, like, basically everything on it. We didn't edit on it because I have a desktop. Right. um, At home. Granted, it's like a 10-year-old desktop, but it worked for editing. Granted, now, another Patreon thank you. Um, We also have two new Google Pixel books yes. for editing for the podcast. So now we're able to, um, if we need to record in separate places, if we want to do some kind of recording on the go, or if we want to edit on the go and continue to have like the good quality that we expect of ourselves, right? Um, we can do it. And it's all thanks to our amazing, amazing Patreoners. Yes, without you guys, literally, we said it over and over, this wouldn't be possible. But mm-hmm. for real, this part would not be possible without Absolutely. y'all's support. So, 
literally, we love you. Love you so much. And I am so excited um, for y'all to finally hear this. Yep. Well, and this actually is kind of a full-on Patreon episode. It is. It like, really everything is. everything about this episode is Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, the topic, this one is another Patreon picks episode. It is. Which have really just been some of my favorite episodes. I know, um, I know. Sometimes not using our brains and using someone else's mm-hmm. creates amazing topics. I mean, our Patreon picks have been some of our best performing episodes like oh, buried yeah. alive expat murders from a couple weeks ago is doing amazing yes and we also have some fun news about the yeah murders one. so as y'all know we always put a lot of different things on social and for the expat murders i did the case of amanda knox and mm-hmm. her, the trial that she and her uh, boyfriend of the time rafaele salicio went through when they mm-hmm. were being accused um and convicted of the murder of her roommate meredith kircher yeah they have been found you know they've been completely exonerated guys they didn't do it um that's, yeah i very strongly will stand on that as my opinion of this but she's very active on social and you know just for the hell of it i tagged her in a couple tweets on our instagram and she actually liked our tweet and retweeted us which is so cool it's just so cool it was you know it takes it's one of those things that takes the topics that we talk about and discuss and mm-hmm. and makes them even more real and it's it was very similar to when we interviewed detective moran and mm-hmm. it made gacy like real. come to life in a very yeah. terrifying way mm-hmm. um just really being integrated because you know we're we're talking about all these different cases and all of these details but sometimes i don't know there are certain things that bring it closer to home yeah no absolutely also this topic brought a lot of shit closer to home yes it did it (laughs) did um and i think that's a great segue i'll jump to the topic yeah do it so our topic for this week is actually another patreon picks as we mentioned earlier yes um this one comes from stacy thank you so much yes also known as mama yes that's true she's our mom and um so a little bit of background um our the good chunk of our family is from the texas panhandle region yes which is very farm high plains small towns kind of thing and really the only big city in the entire panhandle which is the size of quite a few states like it's a big area yeah the only city of size is Amarillo yep. and it has I want to say 180,000 people it might be a little smaller than that yeah uh, but I mean I honestly have no clue so yeah most of the towns in the region though are in the hundreds yeah. of people um and so it's a very different different kind of world than anything I've really experienced um I never lived in the panhandle myself I, I grew up in Oklahoma City metro and mm-hmm. have always lived you know, in suburbs or cities. Right. And also, y'all know how I feel about small towns. I will say it again. I'm not about that life. Not about that small town um, life. But it's so interesting because we'll visit and... I mean, growing up, we visited quite a bit. And we it's did. a whole different world. It's completely it's... different. It is completely different. 
And we still to this day have a lot of family living in that area, in the yes. Texas Panhandle, both in Amarillo and in the surrounding mm-hmm. small towns. Yes. So you're probably wondering, okay, so Texas Panhandle, what does that have to do with any of this? Well, the topic is Texas Panhandle murders. Yes. So, and guys, there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. There's a horrifyingly large number of mm-hmm. murders and some crazy shit that goes on in the panhandle i actually found a reddit thread that was about amarillo and the question was what's the craziest shit y'all know that's happened here and i read the (laughs) list and oh my god it was insane so when we first got the topic honestly my first reaction was like okay so we're gonna probably be doing some like wild west cases or something like that you know older murder case oh no no oh no nope not at all but it was really interesting reading in these cases and at least in mind there are a couple places i'm like not only do i know where that is right but there are so many members of our family that probably have daily you know walk past these places every day yeah and they're very close to them and yeah i um Yes. Yes, absolutely. So I just think that's crazy because, you know, cases, especially like last week's case, our college town murders, that hit close to home because it was placed on like, I know where this is. Yeah. I've been there. This one takes on another level because it's not only like, I know where that is. I've been there. It's my parents probably have stories of these. I'll be interesting. Mm -hmm. I'll be interesting. Um, I'll be interested to talk to mama after this and be like so did you what is what's your perspective on this case yeah, were like, you aware you know, of it when it happened did you know about it did um, you know where it was did, did you, you know live in the area involved like yeah. what what's your connection so that'll be that'll be fun it will be and i'm going to transition into the wine yes because it's actually also sponsored by Stacy. Oh, yeah. So we have a little bit of a story about this wine. Um, it's the Cloran Ridge Vineyard and Wineries 2015 Meritage. And um, Cloran Ridge is a vineyard that's located in Edmond, which is where we grew up. We talked about this, I believe, on one of our Patreon somethings. I feel like we mentioned that we went on to this Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So for for those of y'all who are not on Patreon and haven't already heard about this, in Edmond, there's not, this is not the place where you would imagine a winery no. to be, especially one that has uh, acres. They have 10 acres of vines. Which is crazy that I had never heard of this place until we went, or until... Yeah. Uh, just before we went home for Christmas. Exactly. And their first vines were planted in 2001. And then the winery opened in 2012. So they have about 5,000 different vines, which creates about half of the grapes that they use in all of their wines. Multiple different uh, varietals of, of wines from sweet to dry. They had more dry options than we they thought did. they did. Most of the... Because a lot of... I don't want to say most. But a lot of the wineries in the area... It's it's a lot of sweet wines. Yes, and, and that's that's just pretty typical of Oklahoma wines. It is. 
not this place. I mean, they they did have some sweet options, but by and large, it was a very good array. Yes. And they are a very small operation. Mm -hmm. And a couple of examples, just to give you an idea of how small they are, they were out of quite a few of their dry reds because Mm -hmm. it was around the holidays, so they'd sold them out. Mm Mm-hmm. They were out on their tasting. It was supposed to be, I believe, their 2014 Cabernet Sauvignon Reserve. Mm. However, they were out of it. So we got to try their Lost Barrel Cab. Which is so good. It was delicious. Um, and also only like 28 a bottle. Mm-hmm. But the story behind that wine totally. is that, yeah, I mean, that's definitely above our <laughs> price range. But the fact that they had a single barrel of this wine and then it's non-existent anymore is why I think 20, 28 or whatever is pretty cheap for that. No, that's that's fair. But they found a barrel that had just, I don't know, been hanging out in a corner. It hadn't been temperature regulated. Like they had no idea what it was going to taste like. And they tapped it and it ended up being wonderful. It's and so, so they bottled good. it. Um, but another really unique thing about Clorin Ridge is they have a wine cave. And this is built underground. It's something that oh. a lot of the vineyards in Napa have, which, you know, the owners were very influenced by Napa. And that's mm-hmm. why they came and built oh. this vineyard. We didn't go down there. But apparently, if you go on their wine tours, they will take you down. You'll look at the wine cave. And what it is, it's a it's an underground, like, temperature regulated area. And mm-hmm. it's perfect for wine barrels for aging. Because it's about 60 degrees down there. Huh. However, that's also where they host a lot of their um, events, like the Titanic dinner that they do that I uh, really want to go to. Yes. And um, I emailed them today, by the way, to ask when they're doing it next, and they'll let me know. Okay. Um, it's not planned yet, but they'll let me know. It's something that they do repeatedly. But also, of course, it's a vineyard. They host a lot of weddings. Mm-hmm. Um, but all in all, you know, we went there with our mom. Mm-hmm. Did a wine tasting, and then we sat outside and had an amazing cheese plate. Oh, it was so good. And it was like a $5 cheese plate. It was so cheap and because was... Oklahoma is still cheap. I know. it. Oh, my gosh. And it was so good. The goat cheese they had. Mm. Yeah, it was delicious. And we just sat out there and, like, looked mm-hmm. at the vines. And then we went and did, like, a mini photo shoot in the vines of mm-hmm. all three of us. Um, Which will... Make sure to post some of those pictures for y'all. Oh, of course. (laughs) They were really good. I really enjoyed our whole experience there. Mm. And I very much want to go back there. uh, Oh, and when we were doing wine tastings, they gave us like free samples of their fudge, which was delicious. Oh my gosh. It was so good. So if you're in the Edmond area and you're looking for a fun thing to do, uh, definitely check it out. It's so much fun. Um. Okay, but now back to the wine we're actually going to be drinking. Mm-hmm. Again, this is the 2015 Meritage. And to be completely honest, there's not a lot of information out there about this wine. There's no information really on the label. Mm-hmm. And the one sentence of flavor notes that I was able to find is exactly what we saw on like the tasting sheet when we were there doing the tasting. Mm. And what she said to us. So it's a dry blend of four different reds. I don't know what four those are, but it's a blend of them. It's a very complex wine with a spicy pepper finish. Mm-hmm. And this one was our Ooh, favorite. We should guess what we think the four are. I know, but I don't even know how I would do that. I don't know. Spitting in the wind? Spitting in the wind, guessing. I mean, I'm guessing it's probably like... There's got to be some Zen or Syrah or something in there. I was thinking Cab and Merlot are oh, probably okay. two of them. 
And then if it has that pepper, that's why I was saying Zen or Syrah. Yep. Yep. I, you know what? Safe guess. One more. You know what? Yeah, that's the four. I'm going to guess. That's we haven't even opened it yet, but. We haven't even opened it yet. But yeah, like I said, this one was our favorite, even above the Lost Barrel. We seem to all agree that this mm. one was the best. A part of that is also because it was more affordable. It was about $15 a bottle, yeah. which is the top range we generally try to go in. I know we've been doing yeah. a little bit more expensive wines lately. Yeah, sorry about that, y'all. But it's because we've just found some really great ones from around the world and mm-hmm. I thought it'd be really fun to feature. And, you know, eventually we'll go back to TJ's and start going, getting our TJ wines, <laughs> maybe. But um, I'm going to open this. All right. Let me get into this. Mm. Yeah. All right. So it doesn't have a cork cork. It's one of the uh, those fake plastic corks. Which I'm kind of into because like, damn, we're kind of killing all the cork trees. Well, cork is going extinct. And that's why... Because of people like us. Yeah. But that's why um, a lot of wines are going to screw top or the plastic corks. Mm-hmm. It, they, they're still great. Like they still save yeah. the wine. But also... I, I think they're less expensive since cork is going um, extinct. And mm-hmm. with Chlorin Ridge being a completely self-bottling, like yeah. it makes sense that that's what they're using. But it's true. let's pour this. Wow, that looks so pretty. I know. Oh my gosh. And we've tried this one but i have forgotten what it tasted like so let's do it again cheers cheers it's more medium bodied Mm. than i remembered it's not as heavy which makes me think there's definitely not as much of like a zen or a syrah in there it must be more cab merlot ish Mm -hmm. that's Um, good though it's very layered and I, i assume that comes from it being a blend yes you get different different tastes um throughout your sip and as you swallow yeah it's such a very deep color very like that dark purple it is it is i'm very impressed It's wine colored (laughs) it's wine colored with this wine coming from oklahoma because one of the things that i always thought would not be good for a winery is the red clay soil yeah but it seems to work just fine yeah because it's very prevalent in the Edmond area where their vines are grown. Oh, yeah. I mean, in, in all of Edmond, there's a couple inches of dirt, and then it's just red clay. Yep. And it's it's so funny to talk about the red dirt of Oklahoma to people who've never been, because I think a lot of people assume it's like, oh, like a terracotta kind of, you know, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm like, no, 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 red. Like, literally like, red, red, the color. Like, your clothes would be stained as a kid with red dirt when mm-hmm. you played outside. The lakes red the water is red and it's not a biblical plague i'm pretty sure only pretty sure though not only gonna rule sure. it out not gonna rule it out because buckle the bible belt well you know so all right anyways with that we have our wine and i want to hear about your panhandle murder oh yes okay the sources i used were historicalcrimedetective.com murderpedia the dark side of america New York Times, and then an excerpt from the book titled Amarillo, The Story of a Western Town by Paul Howard Carlson. Okay. I just sounded like I was about to start reading his book. (laughs) Chapter one. Oh my, you would never have guessed how big this city was. I don't know if that's how it starts, but probably not. 
I don't know, because I read an excerpt from the middle of the book because okay. I had my case in it. Wow. No, right. This guy, his name was J. Kelly Pinkerton, and he was a native of Amarillo, Texas, born in 1969, and he dropped out of school when he was 17 years old to be a butcher's apprentice. Okay. So he just, as you, know, you do, as you do, whatever. I couldn't find a lot about his background, but he's this young guy living in this town all his life, drops out of school. Okay. So on October 26th in 1979, a man named David Lawrence, uh, who was the husband of a woman named Sarah Dawn Lawrence, mm-hmm. uh, she was about 30 years old, so a young married couple, he calls his wife at about 9.30 p.m. that night on the 26th and told her that he would be home from work at about 11. Mm-hmm. They lived at 5004 Shawnee Trail in Amarillo. I don't know where that is. Well... A lot of people in the Texas Panhandle know this address because of what happened at this house. Mm. And apparently, when the house went up for sale later in the future, they had to change the address because everyone knew what happened in this home. And, like, they weren't, no one wanted to live there. Oh. So, David arrived home about 1130 that night, and he finds his wife covered in blood. It's on the side of her face. It's on the floor in their living room. She's, yeah, she's lying face down uh, between the couch and the coffee table, and she's nude from the waist down. Oh. David gets a little bit closer to her and notice a large gaping hole in her throat with blood still running out of it. Oh my gosh, this this just happened. This just happened. She is deceased, but this just happened. Oh. And her legs were spread apart, her panties had been rolled down to the bottom of her right leg, and she had absolutely been raped god missing from their house he noticed this large bowie knife which he had displayed on a rack in their master bedroom was Mm -hmm. no longer there oh david last saw that knife earlier that same day at 3 p.m before he left for work yeah uh he also noticed the bottom of a window screen in the master bedroom had been pulled out and there were red stains on the window seal underneath that screen so that's how the killer got out or in Oh, yeah. Or both. Yeah. In and out. Sarah ended up suffered, suffering from 30 stab wounds all over her Jesus. arms. Yeah, her arms, shoulders, back, neck, her left hand, on her face, and in her oh, abdomen. my God. The cause of death was the stab wound to her neck. Yeah. Um, and that was the one that was still bleeding when uh, David oh. arrived home. It was later discovered, you know, not only had she been raped during the murder, she had been raped after the murder, so necrophilia, and she had also been raped in the stab wound of her abdomen. What the fuck? There was semen in her abdominal stab wound as well as in her vagina, and all the while this happened, their three children uh, were asleep in another bedroom. Oh my god. They had a four-year-old, a five-year-old, and a nine-year-old. Uh. So David calls the police, and when they arrive, they notice a palm print in blood on the inside of um, Sarah's left leg, and another palm print in blood on the coffee table next to Sarah's body. So they've got two palm prints. Yeah. There were fresh footsteps outside the residence that led police to a house a couple of blocks away where J. Kelly Pinkerton lived, and he was known by the police as an experienced burglar. Like... He he was on their radar as yeah. being someone that was burgling a lot. And I feel like I recognize that name. 
it's, I mean, this is a pretty well-known case from the panhandle and it's, mm. it's one I know I've talked um, to our uncle about. Yeah. Um, that's how I found out about it. But, you know, again, Jay's 17. David's arrival home at the house actually may have been what scared Pinkerton away. Because, again, he, you know, David got there right after this occurred. Yeah. And that could be why Jay ran and left. When the police got to the house, uh, Pinkerton was not home. So they searched the surrounding neighborhood and they ultimately spotted him running across a parking lot of a bookstore just a few blocks from the Lawrence home uh, there on Shawnee Trail. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're chasing him, you know, several well-lit areas. Like, there's people around and they're saying, police halt, police stop. And he is not stopping. Police did finally catch up to him. And he uh, he was, like, trying to climb over a fence. That's when the police got yeah. to him. It slowed him down. He was wearing tennis shoes with a very similar pattern to the footprints that they found leaving the home. Mm-hmm. But because of, you know, at this time, the Amarillo Police Department did not have forensic skills that could really pair mm. these, you know, the tracks to the shoes that he's wearing. Yeah. What year was your was this case? 79. Okay. This was in 79. They didn't even measure the footprints to oh. even know what size the shoe was. Oh. Um, Because of this lack of evidence they had against Pinkerton, they they let him go. Oh my God. The bloody palm print, the two that they found at the Lawrence home, was not immediately identified as being uh, Pinkerton's hand. Mm-hmm. So even that wasn't evidence to Gosh. hold him. So the media went absolutely crazy yeah, after I this murder happened. Yeah, I understand why. I mean, someone breaks into a family home, rapes, mutilates, and murders Gosh. the mother while her children are in another room. People were terrified this yeah was, i mean it was just a few days before halloween so mm-hmm. a lot of halloween activities were canceled uh oh. people that do halloween night year well and it's also i mean at this time that is one thing that we didn't really mention at the beginning because uh, hundred and eighty thousand people sound that's what it is today ish and that sounds big. Amarillo, even today, is still a very small town atmosphere. Absolutely. It's just, it's a small town with a lot of people in it kind of thing. Yeah. Like, it still very much is the whole, like, you know, your neighbors, your friends are the ones you, you met at church. You, mm-hmm. like, you And that's feel, how you grew up. Yeah. Yeah. And then a lot of people that are there are people that have always been there. So, you know everyone. Yes. Um, You're... Kids' teachers are probably your old classmates, things like that. Well, and it's one of those towns that a lot of the times when you live there, you stay there. You yeah. don't you don't leave. Um, and also, you know, with this being in the late seventies, I Amarillo also was much smaller. I think it was I don't know, maybe around a hundred thousand people. I I, I mean, again, not, I can't even not begin big. to guess. So I just looked it up. Uh, the currently there's 199,000 people in. Oh, your Amarillo, estimate was really close. And in the late 70s, there was like 140. Okay. So, but which still because 100 and or 200,000 people, there are towns like um, I think Mobile, Alabama, which I always or Birmingham, Alabama, both yeah. of those. I always think of those as cities. Okay. Those are about 200,000 people. Wow, so, so I mean, okay. But Amarillo's very different. I don't know. It's a small town with a lot of people in it. Yes, it is. At this time, 
Police weren't making arrests. The community is complaining about inadequate police work. And, you know, the residents in Amarillo are, are there in a lot of fear. And after the murder of Sarah, sales of handguns reached an all-time high. People wanted to protect themselves. And this was Texas, so that is how they did it. That is what made them feel comfortable. Yep. So six months later. Oh, my God. On April 9th, 1980. Pinkerton broke into an Amarillo furniture store uh, called Wolf Wolflin Village. Okay. It was after hours. They were closed. Um, there was one employee there that was still, you know, picking up, closing closing for the day. Yeah. Her name was oh. Sherry Welch. She was 25 years old and a former beauty queen. He raped her and stabbed her to death Jesus. in the furniture store. Still no arrests were being made. And the public's oh dissatisfaction with the Amarillo PD just mounted. They were yeah. pissed. Because it sounds like they know... It It sounds like the evidence is there. Mm-hmm. And he's a prime suspect. Or, I mean, they even think, yes, he's the one who did it. And they're not able to, like, sufficiently pin it on him. And it... I mean, lack of resources and trainings, but... I think it's a lot of that. Lack of resources and training at the time. Yeah. Because, you know, as the investigation continued, the brutality and the knife wounds on both Sarah and Sherry, they were very similar. And both of them had been stabbed about 30 times. So these... And this kid's 17. This kid's 17 years old. Jesus. They did find another bloody palm print at the furniture store. So evidence is mounting against him. And, you know, they did. At this point in time, they had a really good idea that Pinkerton was the one that did it. But it would take them a few more months to match the palm prints. And again, that's resources. If they have palm prints, but not fingerprints, I mean, that's... I don't know. I know palms are unique, but being able to kind of map it out also in a way that would convince a judge or a jury that this is definitively the same person. I mean, that's not... Yeah. Cannot be easy. Well, you know, the two things that can help identify someone, fingerprints and your dental records. Yeah. So there were bite marks found on Sherry's breasts, and they matched those to the dental records of Pinkerton. And that is how they got him in. Yes. So on September 26, 1980, Pinkerton was arrested. He was 18 years old at this time, so now no longer a juvenile. He's a full-blown adult. An FBI fingerprint expert compared the photographs of the palm print on Sarah's leg, the one on the coffee table, and then um, a, a print they took of Pinkerton's and determined that they those were all from the same person. Yeah. So they've got these two really big pieces of, of evidence against Pinkerton. Mm-hmm. But due to this, like intense fear and anxiety and how much the media was in this case they could not try him in amarillo yeah they, no and that makes sense yeah um so his trial for sarah lawrence was held in corpus christi which is about 660 miles away because texas is yeah. real fucking big y'all did you know fun fact so dalhart which is another town in the panhandle, uh, in the panhandle mm-hmm. which we also have family in um is closer to the capitals of six states than it is to the capital of texas which austin is pretty much in the middle i mean it's it's it a is. little more uh southeast than the exact middle but yeah delhart which is in the northwest corner of the panhandle yeah is closer to the capitals of new mexico colorado wyoming oklahoma 
and uh, Kansas, and I I think maybe Nebraska. That is that would make six, but I don't know if it's six or five. But yeah, and because it's insane to me, the one that is blowing my mind is a Dalhart in Texas is closer to Cheyenne, Wyoming than Austin. I know. That is insane. Yeah, it's insane. Well, and when you go from Amarillo to Corpus Christi, that is almost as far, like, across Texas as you can go. Almost. Still not completely, because Amarillo is not in the corner of the panhandle. It's smack dab in the middle of the panhandle. Yeah. And, um... God, Corpus Texas Christi, is so big. Yeah, Corpus Christi is on the coast. Yeah. So it's like, you know... A but it's dime. still not as far down south as you can go. Nope, nope. I wonder how far it is from Brownsville to Dalhart. Because I feel like that would be That'd probably... be pretty close to the yeah. biggest distance in Texas you could mm-hmm. find. But also, another fun fact about how big Texas is, it is a shorter drive to go from El Paso to Los Angeles than it is to go from El Paso to the other side of Texas. That's insane. Right? I love little facts like this mm-hmm. because, I mean, we know how huge mm-hmm. Texas is in the sense that, you know, when we drive home to Oklahoma, from Austin to Oklahoma City, it is a six to eight hour drive depending mm-hmm. on traffic. And it's gotten to where that doesn't really phase us. When you no. live in a smaller state, and that's what you're used to, mm-hmm. a two hour drive can get you to the other side of the state and feel like an eternity. And we're like, mm-hmm. two hours, that's nothing. Yeah. Two, like, yeah. Like we have taken plenty of, oh, it's Saturday afternoon, let's drive somewhere that's two hours away, like to Fredericksburg yeah. or whatnot. And or like when we went to Benning Branch, that was about two hours away from us and it's not a big no, deal it's just it's fine it's just crazy how huge this freaking state is and and the fact yeah. that texas has all of the different environments like you know there's desert there's plains there's forests there's hills there's beaches there's mountains yeah that's the only huge. thing it's missing well i was gonna say like snowy but amarillo gets so much snow the high plains area so. it does it does yeah so, I mean, there and Dallas gets snow too. That's true. Like we just Dallas, don't Fort hear Worth it area. Austin. No, we guys, don't. it's been like seventy in the winter, and I am upset about it. Today was absolutely gorgeous, and it was almost seventy degrees. It was. It's gorgeous. It's. I'm upset about it. Anyway, <laughs> we're off topic. So, you know, they took his trial down to Corpus Christi. Yes. All of the evidence was presented, um, and a fellow inmate named John Alley testified against Pinkerton. Um, They had been staying at the Randall County Jail together, Mm -hmm. and over a six-month period, Alley said that Pinkerton had made several admissions of guilt to the murder of Sarah Lawrence. Like, he was bragging about it, saying how he did it. That's stupid. Talking about the, the... gory details Ugh. of raping her when she was alive and dead. What is and... wrong with this kid? Yes. Uh, a lot. Clearly yeah. a lot. He obviously was just like relishing in all of this media attention that he was getting. But whatever he was doing, whatever his just, I, I don't I don't even know. He was found guilty on May 30th, Good. 1981 and given the death sentence. Oh. 11 months later... He was put on trial for the murder of Sherry Welch. And this time, again, because of the way the media was in Amarillo, they couldn't have it there. And also, they couldn't have it in Corpus Christi either. So they went to El Paso. Oh. So literally, they're like taking him to the far corners of Texas to to do his trial, to get as far away from the media and people who knew Mm -hmm. about this as they could. You have to have as impartial a jury as possible. And that... Yes. Because, you know, he has not been convicted of this murder yet. 
He could very well be an innocent man, and he deserves to have that judicial blindness of an impartial jury. Absolutely. So I totally get it. I know the um, Timothy McVeigh, when he did the Oklahoma City bombing, his trial was not in Oklahoma. No. Because no. It, it it could not be. No, and that, I think, is one benefit that Texas does have with being so large, is that you can keep the trial in the same state and be further yeah. than if it was in a neighboring state. Oh, absolutely. Um. So they have this second trial in El Paso. He was also found guilty and given a second death sentence. Wow. This was the trial where they had the bite mark evidence yeah. and, like, yeah. the dental records. And again, you know, 70s, early 80s. A lot hinged on dental records, and they had what's the what's the name again of the the dentist who examines like post mortem dental records? Is it like it's prosthodontist? Like a for- I think it's a forensic dentist. Okay, maybe I, I think was that's right. To- I think a prosthodontist is makes like dentures and prosthetic teeth. That's what that sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Pinkerton had multiple appeals. Mm-hmm. One of them was in August of 1985, and it was granted just 26 minutes before Whoa. execution. Okay. And then another one um, in November, a stay was granted just 10 hours before his scheduled execution. Damn, he is cutting it close. He is cutting it extremely close. However, on May 15th, 1986, he was executed by lethal injection after an appeal was hand-delivered by his mother and was rejected. Wow. Pinkerton had converted to Islam um, in the later years of his life. I don't know if it was in prison or or what, but he did refuse to eat or drink anything else after sunset. So he had breakfast that day, but he didn't eat dinner. However, he ordered a last meal. It Mm. was a... It sounds disgusting to me, to be completely honest. I don't know why, because it's not disgusting, but for some reason. A fish sandwich, french fries, and milk. Ew. I don't milk know. and seafood. See, yes, that I, is a combo I don't get. But then you think of, you know, Alfredo with shrimp in it. And yeah, that, that's, that's not, good. No, it's not. Oh. I hate dairy with seafood with a burning passion. Well, you can't even eat dairy anymore. I mean, that's true, but I still do. I know. Like, if you gave me chicken Alfredo, yeah, I would eat all of that <laughs> and then just suffer. <laughs> and shrimp Alfredo, it. gross. Like... <laughs> Or, like, except, and this is probably the worst kind, (laughs) but, like, a fish fillet at McDonald's with a slice of American cheese on it is really good. So That sounds nasty. (laughs) That's what I'm picturing when I see fish sandwich. I was thinking of the fish fillet. that's probably what it is. Which sounds so nasty to me. It's really good. I've had really good fish sandwiches. I've never had the fish sandwich at McDonald's because it sounds disgusting. But I like it. Does it taste like fish sticks? Yeah. Because I love those, and yeah, I don't like even know if that's sticks. actually fish. It is. It's Alaskan Pollock. But anyway, yeah, cheese doesn't belong with fish, all I'm saying. <laughs> um, his last meal sounds gross. That's probably why he didn't eat it. He was not about that. So Pinkerton did give a final statement before his execution. He said to his dad, his dad, um, Gene Pinkerton, was there uh, to, you know, at his execution. So this final statement is when witnesses are entering the, wit- the execution chamber Pinkerton's talking to his dad and he says, be strong for me. I want you to know I'm at peace with myself and with God. And then he recited a prayer to Allah. And then he said, I bear witness that there is but no no God but Allah. With your praise, I ask for forgiveness and I return unto you. I love you, dad. Or his dad said, I love you too. And then he, you know, was got drowsy yeah. and he was pronounced dead at 1225 a.m. 
He was 24 years old when he was executed, and he is one of the youngest people to ever have been executed in Texas since the Supreme Court lifted the ban on the death penalty in 1976. Wow. This case is controversial in that he was given the death penalty because when he committed the murders, he was a juvenile. He was 17 years old. Yeah, and... You can't do, you can't give juveniles death penalty, but he was 18 after, so. Yes. Wow. So it is a very yeah. sticky situation. And to be totally transparent, I didn't go down that rabbit hole because it was a big one. Yeah. But just a way to wrap this up a little bit, I found some interesting information. Um, for those who don't know, I was actually born in Amarillo. So Tyler didn't live in the Panhandle. Nope. I did. I did for a while. And um, I wasn't born until 1987, which was a few years after this happened, which was good because our parents' house that the three of us lived at was just on the other side of I-27 from the home where Sarah Lawrence was murdered. Wow. And the neighborhood that Jay uh, Pinkerton lived. And... Um, a scary fact, though, our grandparents did live on the same side of I-27 as this murder and where Jay was, and they were only about a seven-minute drive away. Whoa. And they did live there at the time. That is pretty wow. horrifying. Uh, and yeah. And I am sure we could ask Granddaddy about this, and he would know about this uh, case. Oh, yeah. And um, so it's just, that was, I was texting mama today and i was like do you know what happened at 5004 shawnee trail you know back in the early 80s like late 70s early 80s and and then i was like and also what was your address where did you and daddy live mm -hmm. and so i'm like looking it up on google maps and then i'm like okay what was grandma and granddaddy's address and she gives me the address and i told her i was like i love you for knowing all these details <laughs> because i can barely remember my last address yeah i can barely <laughs> remember my current address so <laughs> so um but that that is the case of J. Kelly Pinkerton and the murders of Sarah Lawrence and Sherry Welch. Um, he was clearly a very, very disturbed individual. And while I do not agree with the death penalty at all, yeah, um, you know, this happened before. I mean, I don't know what I'm trying to say because the death penalty is still something that happens here in Texas. Like people are still executed mm -hmm. um, all the time in Huntsville. And I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So that was mine. Yes. What panhandle case did you pick? So my case is the murder of Sister Tadea Benz. Which I do not know about. Okay. Like, I don't know this one. Like you were saying, it, I've heard the name, but that's about it. Yeah. So the sources I used were Justia U.S. Law, All That's Interesting, The New York Times, The Houston Chronicle, and KFDA News Channel 10 in Amarillo. So on Halloween night in 1981. Oh, shit. So this is really close to when mine happened. Uh, yeah. When you were saying the dates of yours and like the Halloween stuff, I was like, oh, okay. Mine <laughs> That's too. eerily similar. Okay. Yeah. So you don't want to be in Amarillo at Halloween. N you don't. You really don't. So Halloween night of 81, Sister Tadea Benz is sound asleep in her bed. Uh, she's a nun at the St. Francis Convent in Amarillo, Texas, mm -hmm. and she was 76 years old. Oh, no. The next morning at around 7 a.m., uh, her nude body was found in her bedroom by one of her sister nuns. Oh, that's horrifying. So, although there was blood on Sister Benz's face, the nun who discovered her body didn't suspect foul play. Really? Mm-hmm. So, and it... I think it was because she was 76. 
maybe she had a coronary or something and and fell and or even like you can you know if you have a brain bleed or something you can have a little bit of blood on your face i don't know how much was on her face right. i think not much um well it sounds like not enough to raise an alarm yeah so her body was transported to the funeral home yeah about an hour or so later the sisters found a broken window that was <gasps> unlatched and open in the community room that was on the first floor of the convent right and they called the police they're like wait 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 there was a break-in yeah so the police arrived at about 9 a.m and they secured the crime scene the police recovered bed linens, uh, Sister Benz's nightclothes, and a kitchen knife under <gasps> her bed. Oh my god. Okay, this uh, is looking a lot more suspicious. Yep. So fingerprints and palm prints were lifted from the knife's blade and handle, and also from her bed's headboard. Oh. Also, the cut window screen and a second knife, which was a steak knife, were found in the driveway of the convent. Jeez, why is this person carrying around kitchen knives? To murder. Yes. <laughs> so by the time Sister Benz's body was recovered from the funeral home, it had been partially <gasps> cleansed and oh, arterial no. embalming had been completed. So what exactly is arterial embalming? Where they drain the blood and fill it with oil or wax to keep... Oh yeah. my gosh. So they had already done that when they got the body back. So all the evidence yeah. is essentially... Gone. Uh, yeah, kind of. From her body. So the they immediately went for an autopsy. Yes. Um, it revealed multiple injuries, including contusions to her head, stab wounds to the chest, and abrasive injuries to the front and back of her neck. So, I'm sorry, stab wounds to her chest and no alarm was raised. Yeah. Because... I'm... You bring someone into a funeral home who supposedly died of natural causes and no one is asking questions about these stab wounds on her chest. Yeah. Yeah, that part I was very confused like, on. Like, I mean, internal injuries and whatnot, yeah. I get. they which The bruising and stuff, you know, okay, maybe it's not really shown up. I mean, right. She, yeah, but the... Uh, yeah, the stab wounds, I was very confused why no one was like, um, she's been stabbed, y'all know. <laughs> like, hey, those are stab wounds? Yeah. So the pathologist, Dr. Erdman, determined that the cause of her death was manual strangulation. Yeah. Oh, God. The autopsy also revealed evidence of rape. No. No. Dr. Erdman found signs of external bleeding and internal trauma, yeah. and tests revealed the presence of semen. No test, though, was conducted on the semen to determine the blood type of the rapist and murderer. Our cases have way, way, way too many similarities. Uh, yeah. This is horrifying. I know, and it's in the 80s. They know that, like, blood type matching and stuff is very much a thing. Absolutely. Um, I don't know why they didn't test that. The pathologist comes back. Okay. Okay. So on the night of the murder, a witness claimed to have seen Johnny Frank Garrett, who was a 17-year-old, who... Yeah, what? I know. Oh, my God. The similarities God. in these cases are kind of horrifying, who lived across the street from the convent. You know, when I was reading Reddit today, like, I think there are some people that think... There's a connection between these two cases. Because when I was reading about mm. J. Kelly Pinkerton, uh, Johnny Frank Garrett came up in a few discussions. But there was no 
detailed information and I knew that was the case you were doing so I didn't want to read about yeah. it because I didn't want to spoil any of this but now I want to look into it mm-hmm. and see like what the theories are oh yeah it's yeah when you were saying yours there were a lot of times I was like um okay that <laughs> sounds similar uh but yeah so the prints that were found on the knife and the prints that were found on the headboard of the bed matched Garrett's Pubic hairs recovered from the scene were determined to have the same individual characteristics as Garrett's. And the steak knife that was found in the driveway of the convent was one of the same manufacture, design, and make. And it had the same degree of use as other steak knives that were in Garrett's house. Oh my god. Degree of use. Interesting stuff. But I get it. I get it. I get looking at that. Yeah, it is... I, that, that's something because I get it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I wouldn't have thought of that. No, I wouldn't have either. It wasn't until you said it that I was like, oh, no, that totally makes sense. Yeah. So on November 9th of 1981, Johnny Frank Garrett was arrested. Mm-hmm. Wait, when in 81? November 9th. So okay. <laughs> 10, 9, 10 days after the murder. Yeah. So Garrett testified uh, in his own defense and denied raping or murdering Sister Benz. He did testify that he entered the convent two days before the murder looking for items to steal. He was going to just, I guess, So he was like, no, I, the reason yeah. my fingerprints are there is because I was going to steal some shit. Mm-hmm. So according to his testimony, Garrett entered the convent through the front door shortly after noon and proceeded into the medication room and the cafeteria which is where he picked up the kitchen knife. Oh. Not oh. the second one that was found to be his. Yeah, yeah. He brought the, that to yeah. help the cut the screen, right? Yeah. Yes. He testified that he went into several bedrooms, and in one bedroom he bent the knife trying to pry open a locked door. He explained his fingerprints were on the headboard of Sister Benz's bed because he had grabbed the headboard so he could lean over and reach a cross that was on the wall that he stole. Oh, that he wanted. Yeah. Oh. Um, he testified that he heard a noise in the convent and he fled. Um, and that he went to his mother's house at about 10.20 p.m. on the 30th and didn't leave until later the next morning. So oh. he wasn't there when this happened. And it is interesting because I don't know if he knows how much... The reason this sets off some flags for me, I don't think he knows... How much the police know. Because all of his things make sense. Oh, is it wine time? Yes, it is wine time. Sorry, this one, I struggled a little bit. You could hear the opener. (laughs) I don't know how loud that's going to be on our new mics, but um, I was struggling. Sorry, don't mean to interrupt your recording case with, like, wine talk. (laughs) But it just is interesting. His defense makes sense that he's saying for himself. Yeah, no, it does. And he's a and stupid 17-year-old, so I don't... I don't know. Well, and it's like he's admitting to some wrongdoing, just mm-hmm. not that wrongdoing. He's like, no, I mean, like, I was doing some shit I shouldn't have been doing, but I didn't murder her. Yeah. So the state sought to impeach Garrett with an oral statement that he had allegedly given the police shortly after his November 9th arrest. Two police officers testified that after they reduced Garrett's statement to writing, he agreed that it was true, but refused to sign it until after he got counsel. Mm. After consulting with his counsel, he then declined to sign the statement. And in the statement that was attributed to Garrett by the police, 
Garrett admitted breaking into the convent by knocking out a window on the bottom floor and admitted going into a nun's room. Oh. He stated that there was a nun in bed and she acted as if she was going to scream. I covered her mouth so she couldn't make any noise. I started choking her until she passed out. I had sex with her. Oh my god. I left the convent the same way I came in. Garrett denied making this statement. He testified that the police officer would say something and I would say, put it down. And he would say something else and I'd said, go ahead and put it down. And then he, when he said, you know, sign this, he, I said, I'm not signing anything. So, so he's saying the police came up with that whole story and he's yeah. like, write whatever you want, like, write sure, whatever you want, you're going I'm not to, signing it. Yeah. But they, he's they, saying they, they signed it for him or whatever? No, it was unsigned. But they, they oh. still submitted it. I don't know how. I don't know how I guess you submit they submitted unsigned it things either. Not as a confession, but as like... Maybe just a piece of evidence? Yeah. Yeah. With As just like a statement. Yes. That was made. So, yeah. So, on rebuttal, Sister Bernice Nogler, test, who was another nun at the convent, yeah. testified that... Contrary to Garrett's testimony, the front door of the convent is usually locked and that no one could enter the cafeteria around noon without being noticed. Right. Which is fair. It's the cafeteria. It's noon. It's where people are eating. Yeah. She also denied that any chests in the convent were locked or that any valuables had been reported missing. She also denied that Sister Ben's ever even had a cross hanging above her headboard. Mm. Wow. Okay. So she basically is like, nope, 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 yeah. nope. That's all lies. The state also presented rebuttal witnesses who lived near Garrett's mother. Because remember, he's 17. He yeah. He lives at home still. One neighbor testified that Garrett was seen prowling around an elderly woman's home in the neighborhood on the night of the murder. Oh, my and God. And the second, testi- second neighbor testified that Garrett came out of his house at approximately 11 p.m. that same evening. Yep. Which, uh, I, I never hold that much weight to witness testimony because it's no, very infallible. I mean, witnesses but... are notoriously unreliable. And, like, think about mm. it. If I asked you what you did... This Monday at three o'clock and where you were, could you tell me? Because I couldn't even tell you where I was. You're like uh, other than probably like, at work. Yeah, but say who other knows? than I was working. Yeah, but would you remember that? Oh yeah, two p.m. is actually the time. You know, I left at one forty-five because I had to go to the post office, and I, I really you know, and I ran into Shelley. Yeah, there, or I saw her across the street. You're not gonna think of things like that. No, and until. You would have to really mm-hmm. think about that. Yeah. So at the punishment phase of the trial, the government offered testimony of Garrett's bad reputation in the community and his past acts of aggression. Oh. The defense, however, presented Garrett's mother, who made a personal plea for mercy on his behalf and testified about his relationship with his brothers and sisters. But what does that have anything to do with anything? Well, uh, I mean, the... With the prosecution is saying like, oh, he has this horrible character and he's a bad person. And she's like, no, he's good. His brothers and sisters. It's weak. It's weak because I could see him doing both. Yeah. Like you can be not a good character and still love and be nice to your family. Yeah. Like I feel like there are a lot of people that aren't of good Mm -hmm. character, but the support for the family that they have is like unbreakable. Oh, yeah. And 
I don't know. It, it is weak. But mm-hmm. honestly, when you go to trial, it's who can tell a better story. It's true. Which is, it makes me sick. It's more about who tells the better story and not right and wrong yeah. and proving innocence or proving guilt. Mm-hmm. It's more about who tells the best story. Yep. It's sick. So the defense also called several officers who testified that Garrett had caused no trouble while he was awaiting trial in Potter County Jail. Okay. So that he was a model prisoner, so speaking to his character. I get it into, into the speaking to his character part, I but it. I don't necessarily think like his character in either place has any... To me, if, the, if someone's character is what swings a trial, the evidence was shit. Yeah, that's and you what shouldn't. So, like, whether exactly he was a great person or not, because you t- you look at literally like any news story when they're talking about like the murder next door, all the neighbors are always like, "He was such a kind person. I would have never thought." Yeah, and so I'm like, "Yeah, d- still did it." Like, doesn't the character well, stuff? I don't take see our why example. We've talked about in probably every episode since you did it. John Wayne Gacy. Yeah, people loved him. He was active in his community. Ted Bundy. People yeah. loved him. He was active in his community. Like, same thing, but mm-hmm. behind closed doors, he was a fucking monster. Yeah. They both were. Well, it, yeah, that's it's, why the, like, it's character, character testimony is, is yeah, it's I don't weak. like it. And it's not evidence. Mm-hmm. It's no, not it's not evidence. Like, again, because I am sure there has been a good person who has slipped up majorly. Yeah. And, and committed a crime, like, maybe as intense as murder. Yeah. Doesn't mean they're not a good person. Or a lot of people that are convicted of manslaughter. Mm-hmm. You know, there could be a good person who runs over someone and they die. That's manslaughter. Yeah. But it doesn't mean their character is bad. Yeah. So anyway, well, it's different. Side, manslaughter and murder there are, are some different. There are some terrible, terrible people out there who are monsters who maybe have never committed a big crime at all in their lives. Exactly. But it still means their character is shit. They're just... Not so yeah that it's I, weak. yeah according to his lawyers Garrett was mentally ill and suffered from multiple personality syndrome which nowadays is known as borderline personality disorder oh okay um, so it went from like syndrome to a disorder but yeah same thing got it got it uh, as a result of physical and sexual abuse that he had endured as a child what one of his lawyers um, had even said that I think he's simply too crazy to kill. Which is a weird thing to say. Too crazy to kill. Yep. So his sister, Janet, said that her brother didn't finish high school and had a history of petty crimes and was always a little slow and a follower. So she she was like, I don't I don't think he's the type of person who could have even come up with this by himself. Yeah. Which, that kind of character stuff, I'm like, okay, that I more understand. Yes. As like a, I he's a follower. That. Still don't think it holds up much, but... No. So a mental health expert described Garrett as one of the most virulent histories of abuse and neglect that I've encountered in 28 years of practice. Whoa. So Garrett was allegedly raped, regularly <gasps> beaten by his stepfather, oh my and God. forced to perform sexual acts for pornographic films. Oh my God. His family introduced him to drugs and alcohol when he was 10. And he was also exposed to brain-damaging substances like paint thinner. All of that information, however, was not presented to the jury during the trial. When did that information come out? How I'm do not we... sure. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, talk about 
um, a defense team that didn't have all the pieces. Uh, yeah. Because, I mean, they really could have used that. Yeah. Like, I mean, that could have even been a not guilty by reason of insanity, which is exactly yes. what it sounds like. No, that's exactly what it sounds like, which is, I mean, it's still a sentence and they're still being punished for what they did. Because, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I think he's innocent. Like, it sounds like he very much did this. But if this was the circumstances, then it it's he has mental illness and that went ignored. Yeah. So let's just say the story is far from over. Oh, okay. So the Supreme Court had previously ruled that a person who is insane and cannot comprehend an execution or the reasons behind it cannot be put to death. Of course. That makes sense. Prosecutors, however, insisted that while he, Garrett, might not be normal, is their phrasing. Well, who's um, normal? Because I don't know what normal is. Normal Uh, doesn't exist. No. He was aware of his crime and understood the punishment, was their argument. In September of 1982, Garrett was found guilty and sentenced to death. He was then placed on death row in Texas's Ellis Unit Prison in Huntsville. And his execution was ultimately scheduled for January 6th, 1992. Wait, why did they put him in jail for 10 years? He, he had appeals and stuff. Like, the oh, original gotcha. execution, I think, was in, was set for, like, 87, but he had appeals and it, it wound up getting pushed back and stuff. So, um, this is what I feel like... This is one of the reasons why I'm so against the death penalty. Yeah. Because when... Someone does something wrong and it's an action born of mental illness. How mm-hmm. can you justify killing that person? But also it's like, I mean, the the reason, the true, true main reason why I'm so against the death, death penalty is if someone kills another person, you killing that person makes you the same as them. Like mm-hmm. what... Are you, how are you justifying, like, just because you do it in a closed room and it's, you know, you make them comfortable, it's lethal injection, it's not a brutal crime. I'm like, but you still killed them. Yeah. And it, that's why. The whole an eye for an eye, I can't, I don't agree with that. No. And to me, the, uh, like, rock hard boner that America gets for, like, revenge murders and the action movies where they're like shooting all the bad guys and stuff and i'm like that's not okay it's not and like that's not and that opens a whole other conversation about what we find entertainment and entertaining excuse mm -hmm. me in in this country it's and i'm very guilty Mm -hmm. of that like i watch those movies i watch movies like that that are violent and like but you know one of the biggest lessons i learned in school when we were going over the death penalty is that once the argument shifts towards vengeance or retribution you can't continue the conversation because if if you're honestly having a conversation about is it ethical is it you know just does it deter like it is meant to no. And when people get into the conversation of like, well, you know, eye for an eye, well, he killed them, so he should be killed. There's, you, you can't continue the conversation because you're talking about two very different things. I don't understand how you could say the death penalty is ethical. Mm-mm. It seems like something that is so the opposite of ethics that no. I can't even understand how that would be an argument. And it's so... No part of me can comprehend that. Widely misused it targets people of color it targets 
poor people who cannot afford the best defense attorneys to get them yeah. out of this. And it it is also used as a way for people who shouldn't be, you know, might win their trial. You know, maybe there's not enough evidence against them, but they're terrified. So they take a plea deal that's life in prison or that's 30 years in prison. Yeah. So they don't have to worry about So they don't have to get executed. the death penalty. Yeah. And it's... They don't have, so it's uh, like the taking the punishment, even if you're innocent, so you don't risk losing your life. Yeah. Because you can't trust. Mm -hmm. Again, like I was saying earlier, a trial has essentially turned into a who tells the better story, not who has the, the evidence that actually proves whether this is true or not. Yeah. And, and people know that, which is why I think a lot of people take plea deals that, you know, innocent people take plea deals. Oh, absolutely. Every day. And there are also, I will say, though, there are also the people that just, like, put their foot down and they're like, no, I didn't do it. I will never say I did it. And they spend their entire life in prison, sometimes on death row, proclaiming Mm -hmm. their innocence because... And I get it. I I don't think it's a pride thing because it's a... An admission of guilt when you didn't do it. I can see how hard that would be to do. Yeah. You're like, I did not do this. And, like... Admitting to doing something so horrific? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. No. I get why that's hard. You know, because I think there are people that think, like, just take the plea deal. Just say you did it. You'll get less time. You'll get this. But it's like, yeah, but that's saying you did yeah. something. No, absolutely. I That it's like, I mean, your life is ruined either way. Mm-hmm. And if it's already ruined, why admit doing it if you didn't? Mm-hmm. No, I am very much for the death penalty to be abolished. It is something that, that we get wrong way too often. Yeah. And that well, and is that's... not... That just at its core doesn't do what it's intended to do. And it hurts way more innocent people than it deters people. Because the the thing is, if you were going to murder someone and the only reason you don't is, well, this is a death penalty state, so not going to do it. That's that's not how that works. Right. If, If you have the capability in you to actually murder someone, the idea of an execution is probably not going to deter you right well and so i have your morals will but right i have two things i want to say so one of our family members you know was talking to us about doing a topic around people who were found innocent after execution and i think that's Mm -hmm. a really interesting thing that has some legs yes and then the second thing i i do want to acknowledge listeners i know some of y'all are for the death penalty and you know Clearly, we don't agree with that, but you have the right to have that opinion and to have that belief. And that is one of the beautiful things about being in America is that we do have the right to have this opinion. Whether or not I so, so strongly disagree with you, I just want to let you know, like, I I understand. I mean, but anyway, so. No, and I I think it's a good point, as I'm sure y'all could tell, I very much also don't agree with it. It's one of the things that... I can, you know, I enjoy debating stuff like this. You Granted, do. when it starts to get into things like human rights, which this toes the line towards, I'm like, hmm, no, I don't want to debate that with you. That's not something that should be debated. This this one, though, because you don't I debate do. rights. Yeah. Like, you have them. Yeah. This one, though, I can definitely, I can see both sides, though I don't agree with it kind of thing. Well, but, and that's good. That's, yeah. I mean, that's a great. When you have 
a debate, you should be able to see both sides because yeah. then it... Otherwise, you're a shitty debater. Right. And it helps you make your argument stronger when you can understand the op- yeah. the opposing argument. No, that's true. Um. Anyway. Also, I was not ever in a debate class or team or I anything. I wasn't, but sometimes I feel like Why I should have. Why didn't you? You should have. You because... would have been awesome. You oh. would have been like debate team king. Is oh, that a God. thing? I don't. I have no idea. Me either. But I'm going to jump back in. Yes, please do. So his execution date is set for January 6th of 92. Yep. The Catholic Diocese of Amarillo, 16 Catholic bishops, and the human rights group Amnesty International all opposed his execution. And that's important to note that yes. the Catholic bishops and the Catholic Diocese of Amarillo, because the victim was a Catholic nun. Yes. But they're not about They're like, this. no, this is not what we agree with. So he came within an hour of execution, which is another thing that's weird. Super close. Yeah. Well, um, I think, unfortunately, a lot of appeals come at... The, the 11th hour? Yes. Yeah. Basically the 12th hour in that. But so he came within an hour of execution on January 6th when Governor Ann Richards issued. Is that what that means? Sorry. The 11th hour is like the one hour. The last minute. It it just means the last minute. But I was getting super technical in my brain because you were like one hour. Well, the 12th hour. I was like, what? No, I was making a joke that didn't land. (laughs) Sorry. Um, (laughs) Your joke made me think real hard. Sorry. So Governor Ann Richards issued a month's reprieve at the urging of Pope John Paul II to stay the execution. So she said, we'll give it a month. The Pope got involved with this. The Pope got involved. Which I get it. I I can see this as something the Pope would be involved in. It had something to do with, you know, one of his dioceses there in Texas, and he's aware. Also, in Texas, the governor very rarely steps in with executions. Oh. Mostly they're... They happen. The governor doesn't usually do anything about it. Yeah. I mean, the same in many death penalty states, unfortunately. Um, I think a lot of governors view it as, you know, the courts have already decided. The appeal courts have decided. And in that way, I get it. You know, uh, just because yeah. you're governor, you're one person who could make the difference. But um, that's not how our system works. No. It's, it's trial by, um, your, you know, jury of your peers. I mean, let's just say by your governor. I became governor of... Um, a death penalty state. I'm commuting everyone to at least life in prison from the death penalty, but that's another story. Yes, and that is something <laughs> that, you can do as a yeah. governor. Not um, stepping in on individual cases, but yeah. stepping in Which you on can like, do, the overarching. But um, I can understand not, you know, having right. a more hands-off approach. Right, um, I get So it. it's very rare. Granted, she just delayed it for a month, but her rare use of authority to grant the reprieve prompted an equally rare hearing. Oh, we had by, another hearing? Yeah, by the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles to consider whether to recommend to the governor that his sentence should be commuted to life from the death penalty. So there's another hearing going on. But at this hearing, the board voted 17 to 0 with one person abstaining for the death sentence. Wow. Yeah. No person voted to have him appeal. Or to have him go to appeal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. So on February 11th of 1992, at the age of 28, Johnny Frank Garrett was executed by lethal injection. His last meal was ice cream, but his last words... So his last words are very famous, but it's disputed whether they actually were said or not. Right. Some reports say these were his last words. Some other reports say he declined to give a comment, uh, but he was quoted as saying... 
I'd like to thank my family for loving me and taking care of me. The rest of the world can kiss my ass. Huh. Which, also just judging by his family history and stuff, I don't feel like he actually... That's also, it's such a quotable statement that I'm like, I don't feel like he actually did say that. Didn't one of your other recent cases say kiss my ass? Yeah, um, the uh, OU bombing. Yeah. Yeah, he wrote it in his... Uh, quote-unquote suicide letter. Yeah, I had just deja vu like crazy right then, because I was like, wait, you've already told me this, but yeah. it was a different nope. case So in yeah. our last episode. Yeah, so he was executed in February of 92. So in 2004, 12 years after his execution, Amarillo attorney Jesse Quackenbush was hired to prove his innocence. Yes, I've heard of this, actually. Um, have you? Uh, Yes, again, talk to family about this one so we have a cousin who is a lawyer Mm -hmm. and she was telling me about this oh interesting okay yeah Yeah. so quackenbush said that the old and newly discovered evidence of johnny frank garrett's innocence is so compelling it will cause even the most bloodthirsty proponents of the death penalty to shake their heads in doubt that's a powerful statement yeah especially in texas and in amarillo which is um far and away the most conservative or the panhandle is the most conservative part of texas oh is it really oh yeah there are counties i don't know why i didn't know that there are counties and you can look up the election results but in like recent presidential elections the percentage of votes going to democratic party members is like three percent yeah it's like 97 percent going towards the conservative yeah um, yeah party member party. running yeah which absolutely. is I to mean, me i i get it it's very it's rural it's no, very yeah, it makes it's sense the i mean the heartland but i also am like god that is such a high percentage it is but also you know we live in a very red state and mm-hmm. we happen to be in the only bluish city that there really is yeah but although dallas and houston are getting they're getting there. bluer well getting after bluer. this year's election yeah. You know, but it's it's very interesting. Amarillo and the Panhandle, when you compare it to Austin, it feels very different. Yeah, I mean, mean, all states have areas like that, you know, because you can compare Seattle to Western Washington, which is also very conservative, and Seattle is obviously not. Right, Um, but I think it's the with how big Texas is, just how different certain parts of it. I'm like. How is this one state? Well, and it's the mentality of the people who live in a city versus people like urban yeah. versus rural. That is it's true. That you know, we're different people, and that's why we have the two party system because people's beliefs and values, and well, maybe not values, but like their beliefs are different mm-hmm. when you live in a rural community versus an urban community because the things that you're doing in your daily life are different oh and my god i know what we need to do to what? mend america we need to have a rural versus city bingo tournament let's make it a little bit more american to make it football or baseball game you see but city people like bingo and do city people like sports we're in texas so don't answer that coming from texas i mean yes that they do. also they literally do. everywhere i've been in a city because okay. i am a city person obviously mm-hmm. as y'all you know listeners y'all know from my history of where all i've lived that i've talked about throughout the podcast but yeah yes. we're gonna do this and we're gonna do it for charity we're setting it up guys 
That please. must be really cool. It actually would be. Please help us. I don't know how to do this. Yeah. I don't know how to set any of this. Not anyway, an event coordinator. Um, very off topic. So Go. getting back into Go this. Go back to it. Um, his new lawyer is convinced that he is innocent. He is going to stun everyone. So Quackenbush questioned whether evidence was ignored. He well, also this is still like super interesting because it's after he's been executed. And I know in all the work like, that's still all the, going. Yeah, in. all of this work that's going into it to clear his name. Yeah, absolutely. So Quackenbush is questioning whether evidence was ignored. He's questioning the authenticity of the confession and the handling of DNA evidence. Oh. So he wanted to retest the DNA evidence on a man who had recently been charged with a similar rape and killing in the area. So Quackenbush asked the Potter County District Attorney, Rebecca King, in late 2004, um, in a letter to release evidence for testing. Okay. Uh, King said that her office would provide whatever evidence a judge finds should be released. Which is fair. Yes. Um, You know, she said, there are procedures of criminal and civil law that have to be met. We're not trying to hide anything. It's whether the case needs to be reopened or not. And that's for a judge to determine. And I get it. I can see how frustrating that would be when you have this new evidence and you're trying to give someone their name and their legacy back even after they've been executed. But. You know, I, there's there's a lot legal process that has to be, but so yeah. So Leroy Matheson, who's a former bishop in Amarillo and knew Sister Ben's for decades, said that the sisters at the convent were distressed at the idea of the case being revisited. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's not for the way you, reasons you think. Oh. He said, "I know it upsets the sisters very much." If the wrong person was convicted, that has to be recognized and his good name restored. They're thinking about him. Oh. Which I just, I don't know, really noble because it's not the, it's not the expected reaction and the expected reaction would be 100% valid for them to be like, this case is over. He did it. We want to remember Sister Ben's. And not but have to revisit this, but they're like, if he's innocent, we need to know, and we need to set this right. And it, wow. that, to me, yeah, I think that's amazing. This is why nuns are phenomenal because I wish. Uh, okay, I mean, yes, but that's <laughs> that's a okay. <laughs> this is saying. why. This is the reason. <laughs> no, I'm just okay. Let me explain myself. I'm just saying the fact, like that level of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And support for another human and just in love. Oh, absolutely. Like, I wish I could be that forgiving and loving. And and I don't think I'm a bad person. I think I'm a regular average yeah. Joe when it comes to my level of mm-hmm. being able to do that. But I don't know if don't one know if of I my best friends was murdered and years later they were like, they might not have done it. If I don't know if my concern would have been like, would have immediately been for... Oh my gosh, that poor person who's been in prison that long. No, mine would be the opposite. Like it just was when I thought that's what you were mm-hmm. saying when they were distressed. I was like, yeah. oh no, they don't want to bring this back up. Like this but, is. Yeah. So it just, you know, it amazes me like that there are people who are so pure. Mm-hmm. And by the way, neither of us have been raised Catholic. So no. I don't. And I wish I knew more. I do But too. I don't know much about like what being a nun involves other than being like just a very 
spiritual and religious person, one of the leaders of the church. Like, no but other than that, marriage. I don't, I don't know. We weren't raised Catholic. The things I know about Catholicism come from a couple of friends that I had who were raised Catholic and mm. uh art history to be honest oh, that's fair though but that is knowledge of catholicism when it comes to like the 14 and 1500s like okay, old yeah like martin luther kind of stuff yeah. okay. so so jumping back in so quackenbush's letter that he wrote to the da uh, drew comparisons between sister ben's slaying and that of Narni Box Bryson, who is 77. Narni was murdered in the exact same way oh. three months prior. <gasps> oh my god. Mm-hmm. The similarities were so striking that the district attorney at the time, Danny Hill, and detectives were convinced that the same man had killed both women. Wow. So Leoncio Perez Rueda, who is 54, is currently in jail for, uh, for Bryson's murder. murder. Yeah. Quackenbush said that in a recent interview, Rueda had described raping and beating a nun on <gasps> Halloween night in 1981. What? Rueda was indicted in July of 2004. Yeah. For after authorities matched his DNA with semen samples that were collected during Bryson's autopsy. <gasps> so they're trying to get the DNA to test it. Now remember, Sister Ben's. Most <gasps> she the evidence was cleaned. Was cleaned. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, so Quackenbush said that Amarillo police at the time had concluded that a Hispanic man had raped and beaten 10 women in their <gasps> homes. Oh my god. Also, black hairs were found at the scene of both slayings. Yes. And Garrett was white with brown hair. He did not match this description. And no like the black pubic hairs. hairs that were found couldn't have been his. You know, I recently finished The Innocent Man on Netflix, and this mm-hmm. is one we've we've brought up a few times. Pubic hair evidence was something that was used against these two men, but it was found to be very inconclusive and very yeah. unreliable with actually, and, and like hair evidence is actually not no. a very reliable, like when it comes to like, you can bear like hair to DNA, mm-hmm. unless you've got the root of the hair and you're getting DNA yeah. from it, that's not... A way no. to um, justify that someone did it. Because, I mean, to be completely honest, think about all the people who have brown pubes. Like, there's a mm-hmm. lot of people with brown pubes. Like, you can't... Yeah. No. Well, and also, I've, I don't remember what I was watching. Or maybe I was reading something. But, you know, hairs were found. So they were looking for someone. I think, like, a red-haired person. You know, they are like, this is who did it. And it later turned out that, that it was, like, animal hair. Like, it wasn't even oh my because God. They, the hairs looked similar. Yeah. And that was the evidence they had found that, it, yeah. So, hair, yeah. hair but evidence it's interesting. Is not, I don't know. It's hard because hair strands has been something that's been used as evidence forever. Oh, yeah. Like, that has always been a thing. And it's as of recently in the last, like, mm-hmm. you know, 40-ish years, 30, 40 mm-hmm. years, when that's been determined as not really as reliable yeah. as they thought it was. Well, it blows Which my mind. scary to think about. Mm-hmm. It blows my Because one thing I think people forget about all evidence is it's all subject to the same biases and... You know, it can all be distorted or collected incorrectly, whether it is yes. bite marks or DNA. 
And I think it's so interesting, you know, we're very much in the age now where DNA evidence is what convicts. Like DNA that is, is what king. happens. Yes. In 50 years, I wonder what the, What's going to be. Because it could be something that is, you know, it turns out there's a protein in the mitochondria of cells that is a hundred percent unique to literally every person and yeah. that's what we identify from now on i know or, and it will be interesting yeah. to see so because yeah. science is ever evolving and changing mm-hmm. and you know what's gonna be the evidentiary factors Absolutely. in the future is i mean we don't know it now it's yeah. interesting to think about so one thing one other thing to note about garrett's case is that it involved ralph erdman or Dr. Erdman, the pathologist I yeah, mentioned earlier. Yeah, that you earlier. mentioned earlier. So he was West Texas's main forensic pathologist okay. uh, in the 1980s. And he had pled no contest to falsifying autopsies and tampering with evidence after serious omissions were found in about 100 cases. I'm sorry, no contest? 100 cases? Mm-hmm. So his I mean, that fel- sounds like guilt to me. Uh, yeah. So his felony conviction raised questions in dozens of cases that he had handled, including this one. (gasps) Oh, my God. So Dr. Erdman had discarded semen samples that were taken during Benz's autopsy. So not everything had been cleaned. Yeah. He got semen samples. Um, And at the trial, Dr. Erdman testified that he threw the samples away because no one told him to save them. I'm sorry, no. What the <laughs> fuck? You don't throw evidence away. Yep. Ever. So Dr. Erdman, who currently lives in San Antonio, was quoted as saying that he doesn't recall this case. Stop. Yep. No. So in October of 2011, the effort to clear Garrett's name was being headed by his sisters, uh, Gina Weaver and Janet Dobbins. Yeah. Um, so attorney Jeff Blackburn who had represented Garrett during his appeals, also believes that he was wrongfully executed. He was quoted as saying, I'm not saying that he didn't break in there. I'm not even saying that he didn't murder the nun. But what I am saying is that he was not guilty of raping her. And I will always be convinced of that. I think that now, if we were able to use the science that we have with DNA testing, I think he would be exonerated of that crime. Oh, my God. So, to be exonerated, there are a bunch of steps that have to be taken. Of course. And um, the 47th District Attorney, Randall Sims, was quoted as saying, They're going to have to demonstrate to the court that the substance to be tested is still capable of being tested for DNA. Right. It hasn't been tampered with Mm. or altered with. Yes. Um, On top of that, his attorneys have to present even more evidence showing he's not guilty. Like more new evidence? Mm Mm-hmm. What? What if they can't come up with that? Oh, to be exonerated, you have to have new evidence. Got it. Got it. When asked if he thought anything would be able to clear Garrett's name, his attorney Blackburn said that, I doubt it. I I doubt it. This is going to be one of those unsolved mysteries of the criminal justice system, although it's really not that unsolved. Uh, His sister Janet says that she will continue to fight to have Johnny's name cleared. Yeah. And so Rueda who is the man that many believe was the real murderer, Mm -hmm. because he had raped and murdered other women of the same profile, 
who were raped and murdered in the exact same way, and he was free and in Amarillo at this time. Right. That's like the big reason. But again, um, the pathologist threw out the semen sample so from Sister know. Ben's, so they can't compare it to anything. They, they have don't have the to DNA. It to. Um, and oh, wow. honestly, for these attorneys and the family, this is a priority because it's their brother or their client or someone they really believe in. Of course. For a lot of other people, it's not a top priority because there are people currently on death row who could be saved, which you, yeah. you can't fault them for that. But no, it you just c- makes you this journey so much harder to clear Agreed. his name. Yes. But Rueda is still in prison. Okay. He's serving 45 years for the murder of Narnie Box Bryson. Yeah. So he didn't even get the death penalty. He did not. No. That's crazy. And because of the similarities in the cases, it, it goes to show that some juries will give you life. Some juries will give you the death penalty, yeah. even if the evidence and the crimes seem nearly identical. Yeah. So despite all of the evidence that points to the contrary today, Garrett is still seen as guilty for the murder of Sister Tadea Benz. Which... What do you think? I... After doing this case, what are your feelings on his guilt or innocence? So I honestly really do think he's innocent. I think he absolutely did rob them the day before. I also think that he... There's a strong chance that because of his mental illness, he got caught up in the adventure of it and telling the story and just you know made up things that you know to him he's he may have been telling this story to the prosecution they're like aha see he's lying about this because there were there wasn't a cross above her bed or things like i i don't think he did it i think it was rueda but without more concrete evidence i'm like i don't i don't know know. how you could exonerate him i don't think you can i to me if there's unless something comes up something new comes up it doesn't sound like you confessed to raping and murdering a nun halloween night of 81 i'm pretty sure in all of america this is the only one that happened that night well there's that but did he know about the other case? Because if he knew oh, about I'm it, sure. so well, because that's he the said thing. that later. Like, but is he trustworthy? Yeah. I mean, that's like, true. is that a legit confession, or is he just like you know doing shit Honestly, to do shit? I think he's bragging about it because his sentence is forty-five years. Let's say good behavior, he gets that down to thirty. Yeah, he'll be like eighty when he gets out, or whatever, or seventies when he gets out. But so it's it's not one of those that. Oh, he's serving a life sentence. There are no consequences. He could make up whatever he wants. There's not good things that could happen to him confessing of this. Mm, True. These were super intense cases and a topic that, to be completely honest, when we were given this by uh, Stacy to... So weird to call her Stacy. I I mean, I know that we always do for our patrons. We're like, oh, their first name. But for Mama... Um, also sounds weird. Well, and when she gave us this topic, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, like that'll be fine. We'll have some, we'll, yeah. we'll find some interesting cases, probably yeah, but, older ones. You know, I, but, again, I'm whoa. thinking ones. I'm thinking we're like gonna find 30s. like murders from the 30s that were like farm murders, or I don't know. But which no. is honestly shitty of me for assuming. But you know, well, but and, the ones we holy shit. I know, and I will say the 70s and 80s have the best cases. 
I say best yeah. with quotes in the air, but they're so severely fucked up. No, just kidding. I can't even assign a decade to it because all of the cases are insanely fucked up and it doesn't matter yeah. the time. But for some 70s slash 80s cases, these were on par with super fucked up. Yep. Uh, yeah. Jump into postmortem. Yes. Um, so I feel like I'm just going to take, take this over. Take the reins. I'm going to take the, the reins. you were looking for? Nope. Taken over. I'm taking okay. over. Oh, shit. I think this episode goes to you mm-hmm. just with the back and forth details of did he do it? Did he not? Mm-hmm. Makes that case such a spider web of information. Yeah. And it, it very much combines old investigatory science with new mm-hmm. and you know what is to be trusted and how do we fix things from the past or how do we you know maybe they don't need to be fixed because they were just and i think i think this goes to you the similarities in our cases still horrifying. horrify me and blow my mind mm-hmm. um both of these were insanely intense and hit close to home because mm-hmm. of how how near yeah. our families were to this. And continue to be. I don't know why I said families. We have the same family. It's true. Um, but I, I think for this episode, if I had to pick between the two, yours top. You know, I'm going to agree with that, actually. I mean, I'm surprised. There's only been a couple times when you're like, actually, no. And then I was like, oh, I won? Okay! <laughs> <laughs> but no, because this one, it's so... It's unjust on every level. Well, and I hate that we both pick cases where they were executed. Mm-hmm. But murder cases in Texas, not That's, always, because not always. again, um, the guy who probably killed Sister Ben's is not. not he's on he's death not row. on death row. Not on death row. Um, but yeah, hmm. interesting. I don't think we've ever both picked uh people who were executed before not in the same episode that's for yeah i don't know this case researching it was so interesting because i went in did some initial research and knew the premise of like oh you know this guy murders a nun but did he and i'm like okay all right and the first part of my research i was doing i was like yeah he did and then Then i got more and more into it and i was like oh no he didn't like they're I, yeah, no, I strongly, I don't even think that he, like, was involved in her death at all. Oh, um, man. I think he very much broke wrong in place, and, you know, burgled them the night before or two days before, whatever it was. And then. And it was just a case it of was shitty just luck. His, his DNA and his stuff was there. It was there. So. Well, you know. It's just, that's just crazy. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. All of it. But. So. All right. Well, next week you will pick our wine and Mm -hmm. I'll pick our topic. Okay. And be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Yes. And Google Play. Also, we forgot Um, to mention earlier, but um, we did mention this is a Patreon Picks episode. Yes. But absolutely check out our Patreon page. Please, please do. Um, We post. We post little murder minis. We post uh, different, like, fun videos. Recipes. I know. We've really been starting the um, videos. I, I really like the videos. I love it's them. my um, dream of being famous a and on YouTuber? TV. And, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. I, you know, whatever. But fame, also a YouTuber. Fame on screen. Yes. Um, and I can live it through that. So check out our Patreon. 
Um, with this being a Patreon episode, if you are a Cabernet Sauvignon convict, yep. you also will be able to direct an episode and give us a topic that you yes. want to hear about. And yeah, we'll we'll do it. Yes. And when, you know, for those of y'all who are thinking like, oh, I just give you a topic and that's it. What if you pick things I don't like? Give us suggestions. Like if yeah. you pick a topic, you're like, okay, this is a terrible example, but... Oh, I want y'all to do Christmas murders, and I'd love to hear about John Bonet. We're probably gonna do John Bonet. Yeah. Like, so if you also suggest a case, one of us will probably take that on. Absolutely. And unless, I mean, to be honest, unless we can't find a lot of information, mm-hmm. but that's we can be also work with picks. you. We all have email, so we if do. we were like, oh, like if you, have I don't info, know much about this case. And do you, you do? know where I can find info? Tell us. Yeah. So we're, but also again, as I mentioned earlier. Some of my favorite episodes have been mm-hmm. these Patreon picks ones because yes. things like Buried Alive, Expat Murders, you know, Panhandle Murders. These are cases I would have n- or topics I would have never thought of in my life. And, and we needed y'all so, to think of them. They're so good. They are some of our most interesting episodes. Yes. So, um, but yeah, also like and follow us on social. Mm-hmm. We post a lot of stuff. Um, Review the shit out of us on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think. Give us a rating. Please leave a written rating. We because we love to hear what you. I think. know. We send us an email too. Yes, I mean, please email even us. Even if it's even if it's one that you just want to like say hey, or if you want to have a long ass conversation. Please do. We, we both have the email on our phone. And um, we love you guys. We do. It's bloodandwinepodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Shoot us an email. Spell out the word and. Blood and wine podcast. Yeah. yeah. A thing we didn't think about that we have the ampersand in our like branding and stuff. But everywhere else we have to type out and. We do. So spell Bobby. it out. Shoot us an email. Let's chat. We're chatting with a lot of you guys on Facebook Messenger. And I love it. Mm-hmm. Keep it up. Um, and thank you for everything. Yeah. So, XOXO. Um, Bloodwine signing off. Bye. Bye.